A quick hello and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, Jess. Ha, 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 ha. Excuse me. I've been waiting all week for the song. I, like I know I can never I'll pronounce do- my name. I'll, I'll get it. Hang on, I'll do it again. Well, I'll pronounce it for me first so I get it right. Schultz. 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 Yeah. A quick hello and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, Jess Schultz. There better? you go. Perfect. No, I got it more or less. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome. Thank you for joining us. I'm afraid I'm a bit freaked out and stressed out. My computer died last night. Um, no batteries, no backups, of course. Um, and I ran around trying to find a computer. Didn't get one. I had to run across Paris, and I've just thrown my daughter off her computer to steal it from her, to use it for this. Um, so I feel really guilty, um, and um, I apologize to her publicly. Uh, today we're streaming to Facebook for the first time, which is really good fun. So if you're watching on Facebook, welcome. That's the first for us. Um, and we're, we're, we're good to go. Now, Jess, as you know, I think you've probably seen, I've been doing experiments with this, uh, and you were part of it, and I said, could, could I experiment on you? And you very kindly said yes. Uh, if we show the first screen, we've managed to get onto your brand SERP quite spectacularly well. Uh, we got the image there, but we also got my name, Rand Fishkin and Wordlift, one of the sponsors, which is um, I found I found pretty good. And if you show the next screen, we actually got CaliCube's entity page for you, CaliCube Pro vocabulary about Jess Schultz, CaliCube. It's all about your brand SERP. Uh, so basically, the day you agreed to do this show, you gave up about you know, let's say ten percent of your brand SERP. How does it feel, Jess? Well, that's fine because I don't really use my personal brand stuff right now. Great. Okay. So that's probably why it was relatively simple for us. And if we show the next screen, we also got you in the knowledge graph uh, with a nice score of 12, but you're linked to CaliCube Tuesdays. This is one of the episodes we got into the knowledge graph. Um, and the, that, all of that is with SEMrush and Wordlift who are sponsoring today. And if we show the next screen, it's Wordlift's vocabulary page, your entity page on CaliCube, which we showed you earlier. Uh, and I'm tracking those different keywords around your name to see how rich they are. About Jess Schultz is very rich. You've got a featured snippet. Uh, you've got images. You've got videos. You've got lovely site links. And you've got reviews, apparently. I wonder who's reviewing you. So on with the show. Now that I've done my introduction of what my experiment's all about, I'm trying to cut that short because last week I did too much. So this week we're going to get right into it. You're in Berlin. I'm in Paris, France. um, And you're here to talk about Google Discover. Now, what I love about this is I was talking to Bill Slowski about it, and we were saying, who knows anything about it? And the only name we could come up with was Danny Sullivan. (laughs) Yeah. And then you put your hand up kind of virtually, and I thought, brilliant, Jess. So what do you know about Google Discover? All I know is on my phone, it sometimes comes up when I swipe the wrong way, and it tells me I should be watching a football match or going to see Bridget Bardot films. How does it actually work? Where does it appear? It will appear in many locations, but you have to be on your mobile. It doesn't appear anywhere on desktop. So if you are in the Google app, it's smack bang right there on the homepage for everyone. If you are using an Android device and you go to google.com, Discover will show on the Google homepage. 
Um, it shows up in the universal search. There's a special rich snippet called interesting finds, which links directly into discover and will pull you in there. Um, it's also going to be in every new tab, every single time you open Chrome on your mobile device. So it's everywhere, but because it's kind of integrated into your normal processes, not many people pay much attention that it is everywhere. They just know they see it all the time. Okay. So, yeah. So kind of, we all have this kind of impression that it's round, but none of us know how it works or what it does. Um, and what, as I said, the only times I've really noticed it is really honestly swiping the wrong way on the phone. Uh, and it's come up with some surprising stuff. I mean, one of them was the Bridget Bardot film when I was in the south of France in the middle of a French town. There was a Bridget Bardot film in the, the, the local cinema. Um, I don't know if I've ever searched for Bridget Bardot, but I don't remember doing it because she's a bit weird these days. So, Sorry, oh, excuse me, Bridget. I didn't mean to say that because she's probably watching the show, of course. <laughs> so a lot of the content there is, is going to be from your active search behavior. Google mm. Discover's algorithm is powered by not only what you have searched, but what you've done anywhere where Google can track you. So obviously that's your browser history, that's any apps you use, that's all of your YouTube searches, that's looking in your Gmail, they can personalize based off your Gmail content. They look at maps, if you've turned that on, they track where you go, they understand your work and your home and they will change content based on the direction that you're going. It's very, very um, scary when you know how much data Google actually has you can check that there's ways to do that in your Google Chrome browser. So you can see all of the information they have and all of the history that they're using to personalize Discover as default. And then there's another layer, two layers on top. One is your behavior within Discover. So you can actually tell them, I want to see more of this or less than this, or you can purposefully follow specific topics. And it's that right. following of the topics which then ties into your favorite topic, the, the knowledge graph and the topic layer. That's a lot of what they're pulling on. I just remembered last night before my computer died, I was looking at that and you do talk about the topic layer at one point somewhere that I saw online. I was incredibly intrigued by the topic layer because the knowledge graph is obviously understanding entities. It's understanding uh, who we are. Uh, it's understanding who the companies are. It's understanding what the places are, the roads and the cinemas and the films and who's in them and all of that stuff. But the topic layer, if I've understood correctly, is is kind of this fine-grained idea of subtopics within or around an entity. Is that about right or is that a bad explanation? Yeah. No, it, there are like hundreds of thousands of subtopics within a topics and topics are connected. They're on top of entities. And so it's a way for Google to connect entities together. So what a brand is trying to do in relation to Google Discover is get connected their brand to a topic that their audience follows or their audience is going to be shown because of the Google's personalization algorithms. Right. Okay. This is all making lots and lots of sense because I got a bit overexcited when I heard about the topic layer last year. I was talking to Nagu Raghunandan from um, Bing. I mean, they've got a similar concept going on. And I was suggesting maybe if you started to learn the piano and you started off with, like, how do you play a scale? And then as you go through time, you obviously get better and better, and the topic layer guides you through learning the piano. Yeah. And he told me, that's a great product idea. It just doesn't work like that. Um, and so, in fact, what you're talking about, oh, you're saying it does. Nagu is wrong. 
Do, do, no, do I, push it, Jess. Sorry, or am I misreading you? No, I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm saying he's 100% right for his product. Right. Okay. So you're, you're suggesting that if I started playing the piano, Google would follow me through all these different channels as I researched the piano and obviously got better and better because hopefully when you start practicing and trying, you do get better at a musical instrument, as I did with mine behind me. Um, and, and it can follow you through there, so it won't throw you a beginner's lesson when you're six months in. Would you suggest that's going to be happening? That is Google's marketing strategy for Discover. So if you go on the... On their page, actually, learning a musical instrument is one of their examples that they say really? it's going to base the topic layer on your expertise level and grow with you. Yeah. Seriously? Oh, I Seriously. should have read that before. Really, I should have actually done some research, shouldn't I? But I was just hoping you would tell me all, and it would save me having to read all these things. <laughs> so they use musical instruments as an example, and they do suggest exactly what I just said, which is they push you through as you grow with it. What about films and, and, and so on and so forth? Do they give you examples about that? I mean, they were showing me Bridget Bardot, and I suspect it's because it was the only cinema and the only film playing in town. But it knows I like films. But would it go further so, than that? Would it suggest – sorry, go ahead. Because it knows you like films, it's probably showing the information it has available to you. If you then interacted with that topic – you would show your interest in subtopics, and the more you interacted with it, the more precise your recommendations will become. Right. Okay. So, from a consumer point of view, you're kind of you're going, "Oh, I'm getting these really great recommendations from Google. Isn't it fun? Isn't it wonderful?" From a privacy point of view, you've got absolutely no privacy at all. Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> it's actually we've... worse than that. Sorry. We've Sorry. given away a lot of our privacy to Google already. To be honest, that's right. Well, I mean, I actually, when I lost my computer, the computer died. I have a Mac, and I just actually bought a Chromebook, thinking I'll just give all my privacy to Google. But let's have done with it. Um, and I actually found it pretty difficult to use, which is why I was panicking just before coming on now, because taking a screenshot and putting it into Streamyard proved to be almost impossible. Um, but that's nothing to do with the topic today. Sorry. Um, so I was, I was thinking about the knowledge graph. I mean, the knowledge graph. If you look at uh, Google Maps, it's the real time knowledge graph fully functioning it can pick out where you are where you want to go what you want to do and how to get from a to b and what the option you're actually looking for um the knowledge graph has that or the sorry google maps has that time sensitive aspect i.e if a coffee shop is closed it shouldn't send me there um and the topic layer with discover is taking us from understanding who we are and what we do to understanding who we are what we do and what we're going to do in the future whether we know it or not yes they want to predict what you will search for before you search for it and pre-answer the questions that you have. It's essentially their way of attacking social media. Think of Google Discover like a friendless Instagram feed, which is you can follow specific topics or it can just show you things in the explore view. Discovers the same yeah, sorry, thing. When you said a friendless kind of Facebook, it's like kind of Google discovers all on its own. It doesn't have any friends, but that's not what you meant. It means I don't have <laughs> any friends on Google Discover. Um, so, right, okay. And then if you look at that and you say, actually, Facebook is very much the same. We've given away any privacy, any hope of privacy within Facebook at least. But then it, that's within Facebook. Google is much more, what's the word, all pervasive? Yes, they're, they're more omnipotent. 
Oh, you, you've got the good words, haven't you? Mm-hmm, I do. Um, but it is something like you can opt out of. You can actively tell Google, do not track me, do not personalize my feed, do not do this. But obviously you have to take that step to say no. By default, when you download their apps, when you download their products, when you utilize the services, obviously you're trading the use of the service for your personal information so that they can sell that information to advertisers. That is their business model at the end of the day, arguably. Right, okay. And, I mean, the other thing is on kind of a lot of products uh, are in Google's graveyard. Gennaro Cuofano from WordLift talked to me about Google's graveyard. And I always had this impression before I talked to him that Google was always successful. And he showed me a page on the web, and it's just got all these dead applications that they they either bought in or built, and then they say, oh, that's rubbish, and throw it away, Google Plus being a good example. Uh, is Google Discover going that way? No, I think Google Discover is they've recognized that they failed twice at social media. There was a failure before Google Plus as well. Oh, and they, it was called Google Wave, I think. Don't quote right, me on okay. that. Wave um, as in? Yeah, hello, I'm waving. That's rubbish, isn't it? Sounds like a kind of kid's application. Yeah, so is Google Plus, just quietly. Um, (laughs) All right, so they've had two failures. This is their third one. But, I mean, I didn't really see it as social. This is the first time I've actually started to think about social. For me, it was just kind of, yeah, um, looking looking over me and trying to predict what I wanted to do next in a kind of day-to-day manner, whereas social is... I don't know. Well, it just seems more open because it's what I'm doing and going. Sorry, go ahead. It, it depends what you use social media for. If you're using social media to interact with your friends, then no, it's not a challenger at all. If you're using social media to consume content from brands you like, then it is very much a challenger because what you can do with Google Discover is, as I mentioned before, follow certain topics But as a brand, you have certain strategies where you can have users follow you specifically. So it's working very similar to how a branded page on Facebook would work. I follow you, then you can post content. When you post content, I will see it in my feed. Not many people know that you can actually post on Google, both in Google Maps as well as in your brand SERP directly. Okay. Oh, and how, I'm, I've done Google My Business. I've, I, I posted this to Google My Business, and that was part of my evil plan to get into the knowledge graph. Um, how much it played into that is debatable. Uh, but posting straight to my brand SERP, how yeah. would I do that? So you need to um, verify your brand SERP. So you have to go, uh, if you Google yourself, and then you see your knowledge panel, so you must have a knowledge panel, you need to be in the knowledge graph. At the bottom of the knowledge panel, you're going to see a little call to action to claim your knowledge panel. Mm -hmm. When you then verify you are you or you're a representative of the brand, you can then actually put your own inputs into that knowledge graph panel. And one of those inputs is posts. Yep, go ahead. Oh, right. Okay. Because in fact, sorry, I mean, from, from, from where I've been, I mean, I've been doing myself, I've been doing the blue dog and the yellow koala and my band, I can post for all of those. Um, for my company, I, I've got a, a sprout, which I've claimed, but it doesn't actually appear as a full, fully fledged knowledge panel. So that idea of posting to my uh, knowledge graph hasn't actually come up yet. Um, yeah. have, you, have you been doing it? Can you, can you say anything you want? I can't say everything yet. My company, like what I'm doing for my company right now is a whole bunch of tests. 
um, and it's still a little privilege. But once I'm conduct finished all the tests, we've got our strategy, uh, legal tells me what I can actually share, um, then I'll be writing up an article on all of it. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Well, I mean, from, from, from my point of view, and as, as an individual, sorry, I've got that wrong. As an individual, I cannot post, at the moment at least, as a group, no. as a what group I can. Oh, am I wrong? Probably. Uh, I'm not sure about individuals. I mean, they've got this whole, uh, what's the new thing that they've called your, it? Yeah, your Google, people, your Google um, card, but it's only in India yeah. at the moment. Or for people with a VPN. So I have a Google card because uh, I can use my VPN on my mobile, but my people card only shows up in India, which has been interesting for the requests that have been coming through for my LinkedIn. Um, right, okay. But, a lot yeah, of Indian requests for your LinkedIn profile. So you went through the whole VPN process. I mean, I tried it the other day and, and gave up. I'd better get back to it again because my VPN, I think I must have got a cheap one because it keeps sending me through Saudi Arabia and that doesn't work. So I need a proper Indian VPN, connect to India, type in my name. Oh, it's type in, um, what, what do you need to type in? It's search, search for me on Google. Uh, it's... I did it through my name. I should know this off the top of my head, but I'm afraid I don't. Okay, well, it doesn't. It doesn't. Add, oh, add me to Google. That's add, it. Okay, brilliant. Add me to Google, and then you can get your card, and then you can play around with it like Jazz has. Um, and I should be doing, and I will do. Uh, coming back to the idea of the, the, the topic layer, and that's incredibly interesting from, from my perspective, because I'm saying I'm trying to get people into the knowledge graph, which is step one. And it actually has proven to be pretty difficult it isn't easy getting an entity into the knowledge graph. I mean, John Mueller has been saying, you know, this is something you don't need to worry about, you don't need to look at, uh, which is fine. Obviously, that's what he needs to say. But um, if it's anything in the arts or in books or in films or music, um, they tend to have a good grip. William Shatner is a brilliant example because he's done so many different things. He's in the knowledge graph. He's really solid. Um, but if, if you're a company uh, who do something that isn't in that area, Google doesn't have much data on which to base itself to be able to push you into the knowledge graph. So the art of getting in the knowledge graph is to barnacle or hook yourself up or indicate relationships to other entities that are already in there, um, which, for example, this, this podcast, what I'm trying to do is create this podcast as, a, as, as an entity and then hook things onto it bit by bit. And it's proving now to be very successful, but it took me you know, three months to get, the, the, to get up and running. Mm. Is, I mean, sorry, is that, has that been your experience, actually, getting in the knowledge graph is a struggle? It depends from what angle. So I work for, uh, like, one of the larger publishing houses in Switzerland. So because we work on quite large brands naturally, it's easier for me to get, you know, large news portals. It's not a struggle to get them in the knowledge graph because there is quite often a lot about them around. Um, so that hasn't been personally for struggle for me, but I can understand that it would definitely be for, for some brands. And then it's falling back on doing, doing that brand building, putting in the efforts, knowing that when you mm. put in that effort, that is key to getting into and being optimized for in Discover. Because if you're not in the knowledge graph, you, you can't be a topic connected to other topics if you're not in the knowledge mm -hmm. graph, you won't get the follow button on your knowledge panel because you don't have a knowledge panel. So then your mm -hmm. audience can't follow you directly. But there's always a backdoor in and the best backdoor these guys can use is Google My Business because everybody can easily set that up. You can still do posts. You still have a follow button in Google Maps if your entity's strong enough. And that yep. follow button 
or the follow button and the Google SERPs, both of them add you, your brand, as a topic in Discover. That is the Google Discover equivalent of hitting the follow button on a brand's Facebook page. Brilliant. Okay, so uh, we have my brand is an entity. Then once I've got that follow button, my brand actually becomes a topic that people, which presumably requires, I mean, like an entity, it requires Google to have a full understanding of who you are. And then the topic would be the what you do part of it. So, I mean, I've been saying to people, Google needs to understand who you are, what you do, and that you're really good. Uh, And the who, sorry, who you are is the knowledge graph. Um, What you do is the, the topic and are you really good is this kind of credibility idea, the EAT stuff. Would that be yeah. approximately right? Yeah. So we've and just built a three-step process to glory in digital marketing on Google. It's just that simple. No. <laughs> it always seems this simple. I love it. Oh, we're, 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 we're trending. Uh, on your on your personal brand name on YouTube. Thank you, Anton. So we're, 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 we're trending on YouTube right now. That always happens, actually. When we're live, it pushes up to the top. Um, and then if, if we get enough interaction, we get enough engagement on the on the video, it stays towards the top. Uh, and as we were saying earlier on with Rand Fishkin, we managed to keep it. That's a completely different story. Back to our topics. The other question then would be, because a topic is, in fact, essentially an entity. So as an entity, as a brand within the knowledge graph, I then need to, sorry, it's a branding exercise to push into Google's mind that my brand is closely related to this topic, that topic, and another topic. And then as we get into the topic layer, push the idea of which kind of more granular definitions of each topic I'm involved in. And it will then start to push me through Google to summer more and more towards people who are actually going to be interested in what I've got to do in a very social media manner. Is that fair? Fair, presuming you meet all the base criteria of the type of site that Google looks for. So you could do all of that work, but if you don't have eat, as you were mentioning before, you're not going to get into the Zapper. If you don't have decent page load speeds, if you don't have, if you're not mobile friendly, so there's still mm. a lot of basics you need to have in place. But if you've got those basics in place and you're ready to take the next step, yeah, the knowledge graph and linking your brand to relevant topics is the way to go. Okay. Um, in, in the title, I put Google Discover and other pushy features. Are there actually other pushy features or is it all just an extension of Google Discover? It depends how you want to define it. So some people... Argue, I'm going to define it really broadly because then it gives a better answer. Well, if you want to go really broadly, then you have to go into the full Google ecosystem where you're looking at how they're using their products, including universal search, to push their other products. So Google, um, Google Discover is heavily pushing into universal search because it's got its own feature in there, which is going to take precedence over a lot of, um, potentially brand certs and take another spot on page one. Mm-hmm. Um, you've then also got Discover. A lot of people think that AMP is a ranking factor. It is not a ranking factor. I don't know how many times I have to say that. Speed is the ranking factor and AMP gives you speed because of its restrictive code base. Um, but they use AMP's inbuilt natural speed to push Discover because everyone looks at Discover and says, well, 90% of the articles are AMP. And you're like, well, yes, that is 
correlation. It is not causality. The cause is speed. But of course, the outcome is more people use AMP framework. Right. Okay. Brilliant. So, uh, from from my perspective as a brand, my first aim is to get a decent site. I mean, I keep saying, well, I, I like to say, every entity needs a home. My brand needs a site to be, have a home. It needs Google to recognize that site as my home so I can then feed it information. As a human being, an individual, not having my own site is, in my opinion, a mistake because you're not giving a home to your entity that Google could then identify. And we can now expand now and say that within your site on your page, perhaps we should be identifying pages that are homes for these granular topics that are then the topic layer. What would you say to that? I would say it's important because, I mean, essentially you're talking about your internal linking structure and that's part of a basic healthy site. You need your relevant silos, not only for Google, but for your users, which are the most important people at the end of the day. In, I'm saying that as an SEO. Um, yeah. But, yeah, you, you need to build your relevant silos. They need to be clear on what their purpose is. You need to understand what topic you're targeting with that, what audience you're speaking to, because if you've got a, you know, how to play Metallica's full black album at triple pace in your beginner's guitar lessons, it doesn't fit that topic. Um, so yep. you need no. to make sure you're you're basing it on the relevant experience, the relevant audience. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's kind of a lot of this comes back to kind of from my point of view when I was looking at the the podcast as a, an entity based content content model. Uh, was realizing that I had misunderstood what I was doing myself. I.e., I hadn't realized I had uh, Kelly Cube Tuesdays is a series of events. Each one is an event. Within that event, I then do a podcast episode, which is part of a series. That podcast episode is linked to the guest. The guest has to be relevant to the podcast series or it doesn't make any sense. The topic that we talk about is also an entity that needs to be linked mm -hmm. to it and so on and so forth. And as soon as you organize it like that, you suddenly think, well, actually, my site isn't organized correctly. I need to reorganize my site. Uh, and I think this sounds to me, I mean, when you write schema, that comes up all the time. And this mm -hmm. idea of entities and topic layers just pushes it a step further. I need silos. I need topical silos. And within my page, I need my headings, which are topic, subtopic, sub-subtopic, sub-sub-sub-subtopic, depending on how many headings we have. Yeah, I mean that's that's true. It's that's all good. about. That, that's a great answer. Sorry, I, I, I mean I, I was sorry. I was saying, what do you think of that? And it's because I just went through it in my brain, and I got to the end of it, and I thought, well, can you just say yes, please? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's especially because more and more, if you don't have a clear site structure, like not only from your URL perspective, but your on-page perspective, and especially your structured data perspective, which is how Google's going to digest it you're going to have troubles. And more and more, there is this argument that's going to, Google is going to go back to its 15, 20 years ago roots where it's not going to be primarily crawling, it's going to be primarily API based. They're already testing this with job content, with event content. Bing's already moved to, you can give us all of your mm. data via an API. It's clear for me that this is the, it's not going to be that it replaces crawling but it will be the more efficient option than crawling. And when you move to an API-based model where your website isn't even the home, the home is your database. If your yeah. database isn't clean, what are you going to do? 
Oh, and that comes back to WordLift's um, entity-based content model. I mean, it actually goes beyond that. It's, it's saying your entire company should be based on a database. The entire thing should be yeah. stocked in a database in a very organized manner. And your yeah. site is simply a representation of the database yeah. that is your company. Yeah, the site is one experience, but some people then have separate native apps. I'm not the biggest fan of them, but let's not get into that. Then you've got the rich experiences on Google, like Google for Jobs, where you need to push your content. You've probably got something along the lines of instant articles. You may be integrating with AMP. You've got mm. you've got your Snapchat. You've got your stories. You've got your however many marketing channels you have, which goes well beyond search or traditional search that you need to curate your content for. And if you're not doing that in the database, if you're relying on your site to curate all of your data, you're going to buy and find it very difficult to use that as your hub because your site is not in and of itself an API. Brilliant stuff. So, I mean, kind of if, if you've got a client or I've got a client who's arguing about how their site should be organized, you're saying, well, you shouldn't be arguing, or arguing about how your site is organized. You should be uh, arguing about how your database is organized. If your database is badly organized, then you're not thinking about your company correctly. And, and it, coming back to the schema markup silos and all that stuff is a lot of companies don't understand what it is they actually offer. They find it then very they, difficult to explain what they have, what they're offering, how it's presented. I mean, companies, an example I keep getting is companies who have the same name for their software as they do for the company, and they can't distinguish between the company and the software, even in their own minds. Yeah, then they don't realize, like, even all of your employees, your CEO should be an entity in a knowledge graph. Oh, yes, definitely. It, all, all the C-level employees could be. So when when you're defining your company as your product, the thing that people pay you for, you're completely missing out on so many marketing opportunities because, of course, the face of your product is your CEO. They are themselves an entity who should be reflected on your website on your About Us page. And that then contributes to your trust and authority and your other, like your EAT score as your CEO speaks at conferences or wins awards or, or whatever it is. So you, yeah. if you're defining yourself as your product, you are missing out on so many marketing opportunities. Yeah, I mean, because you have the entity that's the company itself, you have the entity that's the brand, you have the entity that's the product, you have the entity that's the CEO, all the other C-level employees. And now we have the entity that is the topic that you most deal with and the granular subtopics of that that you can then push out to users. That's absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much, Jess. That was perfect and wonderful. I'm going to listen back right after the show. Thanks for having me on. Goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Jess.